Hello and good morning. Welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. I'm Daniel Vincent here with my co-host Sean Cheatham. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Also check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. And if you would like to financially support our ministry, um, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash the particular Baptist and subscribe to one of the three tiers that we have to receive exclusive benefits. All right. And with that, we're going to dive right into our topic today. We are uh, tackling kind of a, I guess it's still considered a controversial topic. Um, maybe not as much as it used to be, but uh, definitely uh, falls into that realm of controversy. Uh, the concept or the the principle of lordship salvation. And this is uh, something that has been going on for a little while now, um, but was much bigger back in the day, probably about 30 plus years ago. Um, you see a very strong push in this uh, direction um, and kind of still some of the effects of that happening to today. But Lordship Salvation really has an emphasis on holiness in the Christian life, uh, emphasis on uh, repentance, sanctification, um, that you cannot claim to be a true believer and live however you want. You know, the, the whole concept of the carnal Christian um, is uh, something that is rejected by this uh, position. Um, so the idea that you can live however you want in opposition to God's commands, but still claim the name of Christ. So you can just be a nominal Christian, someone in name only, but not show any fruit um, of salvation. And this really was a push against uh, easy believism, right? There were those that that brought the evangelical church uh, had really lost its way. I mean, and it and it still does in many respects. But um, when this was coming on the scene, there was just so much rampant, uh, easy believism that uh, there were men in the church who saw fit to just say, "Look, we have to define what the true Christian life looks like. Uh, what does repentance look like, and why that is important in." Uh, the Christian life. So you see this coming on the scene um, in headway with John MacArthur's book, uh, The Gospel According to Jesus. This was published in 1994. Um, and then later on, you see a big push uh, with Paul Washer, uh, probably 2009, 2010-ish time frame. Um, you do see this this uh, push uh, much later. And the both of them were pushing against nominalism in the church. Washer focusing more on the sanctification aspect, um, you know, with regards to uh, if you claim the name of Christ, there needs to be evidences in your life of salvation. There needs to be repentance. There needs to be obedience um, and the emphasis on examining yourself. You know, are you really in the faith? If you say you're a Christian, are you truly reflecting on yourself in order to see if these things that the Bible says a Christian should exhibit are true? Um, so you see this this big um, push, but even farther even farther back than MacArthur's book, uh, you see. I I as I was studying for this, I saw a clip um, from J. Vernon McGee where he was talking about lordship salvation, and this was I, I think probably in the 1980s when he was speaking, um, and he was he pushed against it. Uh, he didn't like the concept um, of it, at least as it relates to salvation. Um, you know that Jesus needs to be Lord of your life to be saved. Um, and he pushed uh, heavily against that. Um, but so you can even see some of these discussions coming out even 
uh, maybe about 40 years ago, um, but really coming on the scene with MacArthur. Um, it's also important to note that this, this principle of lordship salvation is not something that came out from the reform community. Um, it's something that came out of, it's really a child of modern evangelicalism. So you do see this, um, this push within uh, the nominalistic, evangelistic, non-confessional world, um, this push against these things. Um, thankfully, with the Reformed, uh, the Reformed you know, tend to be confessional. They tend to be grounded in, in Scripture and, and confessionalism and, and the tradition of the church as it's consistent with Scripture. They try to do that. And so you do see this nominalism not as rampant. Sure, there are going to be those in Reformed churches who do not uh, truly embrace the Christian faith, but you're not going to find the rampant behavior that you see in broader evangelicalism that tends to, you know, undermine sola scriptura, tends to embrace uh, or capitulate with the broader culture. Um, and so you don't see this nominalism in the same way that you would see in the broader evangelical world. So you don't see this push against nominalism coming from the reform camp. Um, it's it's from broader evangelicalism, which should say something about uh, the state of the church and, and the importance of creeds and confessions and being grounded in those biblical truths. Uh, the reform have been teaching uh, holiness and obedience um, consistently for hundreds of years and the importance of that in the Christian life. Um, and so I think that there is just this, you know, there's not as much of a problem that you'll see in the reform circles that you would see out in broad, um, you know, broader evangelicalism. Could I uh, add a clarification to that there, Dan? Yeah. Um, because I, I can imagine somebody might want to come back and say, well, what about, you know, apostate reform denominations? Like uh, take the PCUSA for one. Um, are oh, they yeah. Sure. Christian in name only. And yeah, yeah it's, it's tr very much true. I'm not saying that every single member of the PCUSA is not a Christian, but as a general rule, it's an apostate denomination. But where you see true reformed churches, at least in my experience, I could be wrong, but in my experience, I don't see nominalism. They seem very, uh, very, um, very much uh, fervent for the Lord. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, it, it seems to be that uh, in mainstream evangelical uh, churches within just the local church setting, uh, it's more likely that you would have a congregation that's very much more nominal, uh, nominal uh, whereas uh, you might have broad denominations in the reformed church and uh, the reformed, um, for lack of a better word, that are nominal. But in individual churches, I don't see it nearly as much as in broad evangelicalism. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point, because um, I you could technically um, put and denomination like the PCUSA under the reform camp, because they do say they subscribe to the 1689, but there are a lot of tenets I think yeah. that are unique to reform them that they do deny clearly, you know, embracing homosexuality, embracing, uh, you know, wicked behavior is, is certainly not reformed in any sense. It's not Christian, but certainly not reformed. Um, so I guess you'd have to, you know, slice those hairs to define where that is yeah i guess when i'm speaking of reform i'm talking more about like your your consistent confessional like your your opcs 
or your PCAs, not USAs, your your PCAs, those who are consistently holding to a Reformed confession, uh, your, yeah. your Reformed Baptists, those kind of people. With the PCUSA, I mean, theoretically, they started out okay, because all our yeah. most Presbyterians come from the same root in America. Um, so obviously, at some point, there's been a drift. So not saying that it's not possible, but right. um, at least... Uh, in my experience with Reformed churches, there doesn't seem to be in the individual churches that I would consider solid. You you don't see much nominalism. Mm -mm. Nope, no. And I, and again, I think that's just because of there is a constant preaching of the true gospel. There's a constant preaching of of holiness in the Christian life and a grounding in core the you know these core truths in a confessional sense. There's it's hard to stray from that when you have these guardrails in place. Broader evangelicalism tends to just be, I mean, you go to some of these church websites and you try to see what they believe and it's so generic or it's so vague. Yeah. Or they might not have, they might not have a statement of faith at all. And it's like, what do you guys believe? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> you can't I, hold I people would... accountable. <laughs> I always find it interesting when I go to a church's website and it takes me a while to find where their statement of faith is. Cause a lot of times they might still have it. It's just not, on the main bar. So you got to go searching for it. Whereas, uh, for us, it would be, we would want to make sure it's very clear what we believe up front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that goes back to being held accountable. If we have those guardrails mm -hmm. in place, you can hold your church members accountable to it. Um, in a nominal evangelical setting, if you don't have something or it's so vague that, you know, you can fit a ton of different positions into it, it's going to be very hard to, to hold people accountable to it. And so it's easier for there to be, I think anyways, easier for there to be, you know, a lack of accountability and holiness if, if those things are not defined properly and people are held to account to it. Um, yeah. But I, I do think from a historical perspective, it's interesting to see the difference between the reform camps as it relates to this issue of Lordship salvation. Where did it originate? Where was it primarily being platformed? Um, it, it seems it, at least where it started, it was not in the reform in the reform camp. Um, so there are really two principles to lordship salvation. Okay, there's the necessity of repentance uh, for salvation, and there is the necessity of repentance and sanctification in the Christian life for holiness. So it's really it, breaking it down uh, to its most basic elements. That's what you're going to find those two things. Okay, um, so before we talk about the the relationship of faith, repentance, and holiness. Um, I do want to highlight some of the positives of Lordship Salvation. And we are going to criticize it to some extent because there are issues with it. Um, but I do want to highlight some of the, the things that we see that are consistent biblically with it. Because I think there are plenty. You know, this isn't to, to say the whole position is bad. Um, but I do think that uh, there are things that are helpful in it as well as things that are bad. Um, as it relates to being holy... Absolutely. We 100% agree. Christians, if you claim the name of Christ, there needs to be fruit in your life. Um, we don't believe that it's going to look the same everywhere. Different Christians grow at different rates. Um, it's not going to be always at the same amount, or, but there will be consistent fruit. Um, our pastor, uh, Pastor Steve at our church this last Sunday was preaching on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. You have to exhibit in some way, a lifestyle consistent with those on a regular basis. There's, you're not going to look at someone and say, well, I, you know, he claims the name of Christ, but he has no evidence that he, you know, has really embraced these things. He's not loving. He's not 
compassionate. Uh, he's uh, not kind in any way. He's just one of those really abrasive people who's who lives for himself. You know that that's not uh, what we want to show as Christians. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are to be obedient to the commandments of Christ, and love for God is in obeying Him. Uh, we see this in First John five. Uh, where it talks about what love for God really is. It's to keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And then Jesus in John chapter 14 talks about, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So there's a necessary consequence that comes from loving Jesus. You love him, which obviously involves believing in him, embracing him. This isn't just a feeling or a, or a nominalism. It's, it's an embracing of him. If you embrace him, love him, you will obey him. And the, that's just a natural consequence of that action. And so uh, we would 100% agree that there is obedience that is uh, necessary for the Christian. Um, sanctification is important. Romans 6, 1 through 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And these are those, Paul is talking about those who have been saved. This is the book of Romans, so the context is talking about justification uh, in terms of salvation. So we do see those who are in Christ, those who have been justified and saved, are to die to sin and live in a way that is consistent with that. They're not to, uh, they're to be slaves to righteousness, as Paul will say later in, in Romans 6, not to be slaves to sin. Uh, so we have to be very careful uh, how we live in that respect. Um, and then is repentance uh, part of the Christian life? Absolutely. Mark 1, 14 through 15 now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. <clears throat> so you even see here that, that Jesus is calling people to repentance, Jesus is calling people to faith. So there is a change that is happening in the Christian, um, regardless of, uh, you know, of what you believe on that, there is some kind of change that is happening here. Um, and, and that is part of what Jesus is proclaiming. And this is Jesus coming on the scene uh, in his ministry. It's like one of the first things that he, he teaches. In Matthew chapter 4, it gives us a little bit different version of it, but it's essentially the same thing. This, uh, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days um, and is tested, and after that starts his ministry. I think Matthew chapter 4, um, it just talks about repenting. Here in Mark, it says repenting and believing but essentially, you know, both of those things are, are happening here. Uh, anything you want to add, Sean? Um, I'll, I'll just add that uh, for a lot of the Lordship Salvation guys, I think they have a, a good instinct, right? Reacting yeah. against the antinomianism. Um, yep. And of, of the two, obviously, I would I would fall more much more on uh, the Lordship Salvation side because it is it is the correct instinct to have. It's like, well... No, the Bible clearly says Christians will be identified by their fruits. If you're saying, I can believe in Jesus, but not have to follow him in any way. It's like, well, I, well then you, you don't actually believe in Jesus. Um, and even, even the name sort of leads you in that direction, right? Lordship, salvation. There's no Jesus who is not Lord um, that you can believe in, right? Um, I've heard some pushback that because the original controversy seemed to be between Zane Hodges and John MacArthur, and maybe Zane Hodges was not nearly as antinomian as he was made out to be. I, I can't speak to that. But 
at the very least, you do see actual antinomianism in Christian or in broad Christianity today. And um, of the two, I think the the instinct of uh, lordship salvation is correct. That well, no, we've got to we've got to react against this. There's there's something very wrong here. Uh, but just because the instinct is correct doesn't mean that all of the articulations of, in the in the Lordship Salvation position are actually correct. Yeah, yeah. Even even with good intentions, there's always a tendency for us to overreact to things, mm -hmm. and uh, even if we're not trying to, we mean mm -hmm. well. We're we're headed in the right direction, but some of the language we might use, or some of the the concepts we portray in reaction to something, are not always as accurate as they should be and can have dangerous implications if, if not clarified. Um, so this isn't, you know, to, to just throw sh to trash Sean MacArthur. John MacArthur mm -hmm. has a lot of good, helpful things. He's a good brother. Um, but there are some things that I think he said that are not helpful in this area. Um, and they they do fly under the radar, I think because of how subtle they can be um, on the, on the surface some of the terminology seems very correct, but when you really dig deep into the, the meaning of words and, and the meaning of these different biblical concepts like faith and repentance and the relationship between the two, you start to see some, some errors that come up, um, even with good intentions. Yeah, I'll, I'll say just preparing for this podcast, there were several quotations or descriptions of, of Lordship Salvation belief that I actually did have to sit down and really think about because it's like, well, that sounds wrong, but why is that wrong? Is there a good way to understand that? Is there not a, like what, it, what is being communicated here? So a lot of times it can be, be subtle. And if it is coming from someone who is otherwise very solid, um, you, you might be inclined to just pass over it when really you should just, you should be paying a little bit more attention potentially. Yeah, exactly. And all the more reason to go back to, you know, like the reform confessions and and the older guys who have kind of defined these things, splitting hairs in a way that is clear and distinct. Um, it, John MacArthur is not confessional. He doesn't come from the reform camp. Um, and, and you do see this. I think some of this lack of clarity probably comes from not having that kind of background. Um, because I, I don't think he would have made some of the the semantic mistakes or the conceptual mistakes if he had a, a solid background in reformed protestant understandings of, of faith and repentance um but be that as it may um so we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the you know what is the relationship between faith and repentance okay and then we're gonna talk about um some of the just some basic issues with lordship salvation in light of that one thing we do like to do on the show is when we do talk about opposing views. We always like to give the positive first, and then uh, we critique in light of the positive. I, we think that's the best way to handle um, these type of discussions. Um, so we're going to be using the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. Um, I think, and I have to go back and check to confirm, but I do think that the language is the same or almost identical in the Westminster Confession of Faith, although the chapters may be different. Um, but the concepts are basically the same. So this is from chapter 15, paragraph 3 of the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. It says, and this is the chapter on uh, repentance unto life and salvation. Uh, this saving repentance is an evangelical grace whereby a person being made by the Holy 
uh, being by the Holy Spirit made sensible of the manifold evils of his sin, does by faith in Christ humble himself for it with godly sorrow, detestation of it, and self-abhorrency, praying for pardon and strength of grace with a purpose and endeavor by supplies of the Spirit to walk before God unto all well-pleasing in all things. So this is talking about what uh, biblical repentance looks like in terms of repentance unto life. Um, and this can, you know, this is obviously happening at conversion and post-conversion. So that the chapter is not limiting it to one or the other. It's it's all inclusive. It's sanctification. This is the repentance that should continue on for the Christian uh, that happens by faith. And it's what happens at conversion uh, following uh, believing in Jesus Christ. Um, it's important to note that the confession does not conflate faith and repentance unto life. They are distinct. They're actually in two separate chapters. So of saving faith <clears throat> is in chapter 14, immediately uh, preceding this chapter, and then repentance follows it, which I think is not by accident given what we see here in paragraph 3 where it says that by faith in Christ, repentance unto life happens. So I think that's very much by designed to be able to to show that one follows the other um and and i think that's that's a key distinction that we need to keep in mind as we discuss lordship salvation um that there is a real distinction between repentance unto life that is being described here biblically and faith itself um, if you look at chapter 14 paragraph 2 and this is part of that paragraph not the whole thing but it says but the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, <clears throat> accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. So given what we see in paragraph 3 of chapter 15, that repentance unto life is by faith, this is flowing from that faith and is uh, part of our sanctification, although you could it, it plays its role in conversion as well. Um, Renahan, Jim Renahan, in his uh, new exposition of the 1689, this is page 329, in talking about paragraph 3 of chapter 15, he says this, emphasizing the ongoing activity of repentance in the Christian life, though not excluding its work in conversion, this paragraph highlights the continuous presence and activity of the Holy Spirit in the believer, further confirming the divine purpose in the salvation of the elect. So God is working in his people to bring them uh, to completion. So, you know, from Philippians, he who began a good work and you will complete it. So not only is this starting at conversion, but it's also carrying on in the Christian life as they are made uh, more holy. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of the, the confessional distinction of repentance unto life and, and faith. Uh, anything you want to add, Sean? No, I think I'll I'll start commenting on the next section where we go through the uh, the biblical evidence. Okay. Yep. So we're going to talk some about the biblical evidence of this uh, distinction here. Um, so again, we never see repentance unto life conflated in the scriptures, nor do we see it conflated confessionally. That's very important to remember. Um, that will help us as we discuss this issue. But number one, repentance unto life comes after saving faith logically, although they may virtually happen at the same time. They cannot be divorced from one another, right? We don't say that you have faith and then there's no real repentance, um, you know, till 50 years from now. No, that there is a repentance and faith, although they are distinct. Um, one does follow the other, but they cannot be divorced from one another. 
Uh, Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So given in context here, it's with Enoch, that Enoch believed um, and that he pleased God through his faith. So there's imputation being alluded to here, but faith was how he pleased God, either through uh, justification or through sanctification. As you'll see later on in chapter 11 of Hebrews, you see people not only believing and being justified like with Noah, but you also see uh, this living out of their faith. You know, they're they're doing acts of worship to God in faith. Abel was giving sacrifices to God in faith, right? He wasn't just um, just merely believing, but he was acting out of that faith that he he had. Romans eight eight: Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So those who are no longer condemned from verse one of chapter eight. Do not walk according to the flesh, given their new status as Christians. Um, and how they got to that new status is by faith. And so you cannot please God both objectively or subjectively without faith. Um, and you could probably go to Romans 14 as well, where um, it does talk about whatever does not come from faith is sin. Um, and you might be able to apply that here as well. Um, so you do see that there is an importance of faith as, as being that primary mode of how we please God. We, we believe in God by faith. We're justified. We're pleasing God. We live a holy life by faith, and we're pleasing God because we're living by faith in light of that. And, and you could <clears throat> even get into a discussion about good works and, and how that relates to the believer and the unbeliever. That's a little outside of our discussion today, but uh, you could tie that back into here that one cannot truly do what is pleasing to God, even outwardly, um, in relation to him, unless you are saved and you have that heart change that comes from faith again. Um, and I, I think our confession touches on that elsewhere. Um, looking at Luke 13, two through five, um, you know, when we're talking about the distinction between faith and repentance, this might be a helpful passage, um, because someone may go here to say, well, look, repentance is, uh, is needed for salvation. Um, so Luke 13, two through five, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on, on whom the tower in uh, Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all these? No, I tell you, unless you repent, uh, you will all likewise perish. So what are we to make of this passage if we are making this distinction between repentance unto life and faith? As it seems that Jesus, on its face, Jesus is saying that if you, there's a condition. If you repent, you live. If you don't, you perish. Um, <clears throat> so we want to say yes, what Jesus is saying is true, but in what sense is he talking about uh, repentance? Just quoting this verse or this passage does not prove that repentance is needed for salvation in the sense that we're conflating faith and repentance or that we're making repentance unto life um, on the same level as faith. Um, you could argue that Jesus is simply talking in a sanctification sense. You know, if there is no repentance, that evidence is that you are not his and you will perish. Um, you could also read it that way. Um, so there, the, the passage is not definitive enough to say um, that repentance is need, repentance unto life is needed in order to be saved, objectively speaking. Um, so we have to we have to keep that in mind. The Bible does use different terms in, as it relates to salvation. 
it can refer to it in objective justified sense, but it can also use it in a subjective sense that you are being uh, sanctified throughout your life and brought to that quote, final salvation where we are glorified um, uh, by being sanctified and in Christ coming again, or we dying and, and going to be with the Lord. Anything you want to add, Sean? Uh, yeah, I want to, I want to deal a little bit more with uh, uh, repentance and faith and their relationship, yeah. because obviously there are, there are spots that have them together. Um, and that might confuse people in the sense like, well, I'm supposed to repent in order to be saved. And we need a, we need a definition of, of repentance there. Right. Because um, that might not be um, people might have a, a wrong definition of repentance there. Um, repentance. Oftentimes when the Bible says uh, repent, when, when Peter preaches to the, those uh, in acts two and they're like, well, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Uh, oftentimes it doesn't say what you're repenting about. Um, because the word repent just means to have a change of mind, right? To change your mind, but it doesn't, oftentimes it's not specific about what are we changing our mind about. Um, so, uh, there's a couple spots where it does actually give a, a specification about what, what the, the change of mind is in reference to. I'll go to Hebrews 6, 1 here. Uh, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Um, so here we're told specifically it's repenting of dead works, which is actually a, a necessary component of saving faith, right? You can't be holding on to your dead works of um, self-righteousness before God and at the same time say, I accept Christ as the sole source of my salvation, sole source of righteousness, right? Those are two, uh, they're completely opposed. You can't have both at the same time. So I think frequently when the, the Bible uses the word repentance in the context of salvation, it's talking about um, things like this, that you're having a change of mind in regards to, um, in regards to God and what your relationship is to him. But that doesn't necessarily translate into into works that I have to do that. We can't smuggle that into faith. Um, John the Baptist is frequently quoted for this point, uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But um, I wanted to quote from actually uh, Paul, Paul talking to uh, King Agrippa in uh, Acts 26, 19 and 20. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Uh, meet for repentance there in keeping with repentance, right? So he's, he's laying out what they should do, uh, what the Gentiles should do. They should repent and turn to God and do works in keeping with that repentance, right? Now, that's not all saying like, well, you have to do all that to be saved, right? Um, but what should you do just in the Christian life? You should you should turn to God, absolutely. And then you should do works in keeping with that repentance that you, you've done. Although it's, it's, the, the, uh, it's not the works that are actually part of your salvation there. So there is, as long as you define repentance correctly, there is a relationship between repentance and faith um, that is uh, part of salvation. 
but we don't want to throw too much under that under that banner of repentance and not all the repentance that we see in the scripture is what we would call uh, it would be um necessary for salvation if that makes sense yeah there has to be a distinction between and that's why i'm using the term you know repentance unto life as our Mm -hmm. confession uses it um because faith does involve some sort of repentance at least in the in the the sense that you're changing your mind you're embracing what you didn't embrace before as Mm -hmm. as an unbeliever um but at the same time we would never conflate like the acts of repentance yes you know the the humbling of oneself the sorrow the hatred of sin that's all done by faith in christ and that's where really where we're drawing that line Mm -hmm. um we have to so when we say that repentance is not necessary for salvation it's the acts of repentance that aren't not necessary for salvation um there certainly is some sort of repentance taking place but the scriptures don't conflate those categories ever no they're always together but they're never the same um like we talked about in mark one uh jesus he preaches the gospel but he always distinguishes belief and repentance it's repent and believe uh, the words are never used interchangeably and that's really um i think where you see one of the biggest issues with lordship salvation is they either conflate or um or at the very least make them so close together that it's very hard to tell um what tell them apart or at the very least they're you know repentance unto life these acts of repentance are required for salvation um and that is really where we get into some of these issues um because we want to say obviously that the the means of which salvation comes objectively speaking is by faith we don't say that my act of repentance is what brings about my justification that's clearly problematic we believe that justification is by faith alone in jesus christ that's paul's uh that's paul's theme in in romans um and we have to stick to that um yes faith is a work but faith is not uh, counted to us as our actual you know righteousness itself and even our confession in chapter 11 is explicit about that the faith itself is not imputed to us it's only the righteousness of christ passive and active that is imputed to us through the means of faith and once we receive that gift we are saved objectively speaking we are right before god we are declared righteous we've received all the spiritual blessings in christ um ephesians 1 verse 3 Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So faith unifies us to Christ as our covenant head in the new covenant, and we receive all the benefits of the covenant head, his righteousness, sanctification, redemption, all every, including repentance. Every spiritual blessing is given to us in Jesus Christ. So repentance, there's no need for it because in terms of saving us because everything we have is in christ by faith um this is also an argument you could kind of a scything you could use this you know against the lutheran uh baptismal salvation baptismal regeneration argument there's nothing else that's needed we're justified in christ why do i need to be saved by baptism so we this is why faith alone being emphasized is so uh, incredibly important because it excludes absolutely anything else that we would need in order to be uh to be saved or to be justified before god um so this is why using 
you know, precise language and understanding these terms is so important because you can see the error that you could drift into if you're not careful. Uh, you could end up adding works to the gospel. Now, I'm not saying MacArthur's doing that. Um, MacArthur would flat out deny that. Um, but I think that the language that's used here tends to go down that road. And if not checked and not properly corrected, uh, logically leads there. Um, and then really the criticism of anti-lordship guys would become valid, right? It would become valid. Hey, look, you shouldn't repent. That's a work. Why are you putting that in there? Um, and, and in some sense, they they are correct. Um, it, that, that is a that is a valid critique, I think, although it it's misplaced because those men do not claim that um, it, you can see where it, the logic leads if it's not uh, checked properly. So, you know, we believe that faith is involves repentance to some extent in the sense that it's a change of mind. Um, and in that strict sense, we see it's repentance. Um, but again, faith is needed to do anything truly pleasing to God. And repentance of the life can't be an antecedent to faith. It has to be after it. But it can't be faith itself, given the distinction that we've seen right in, in Mark 1 and, and in other places. So it has to come um, after it. And that's why our confession uses the terminology that these things happen by faith. By faith, we're submitting in, in humility. By faith, we're hating our sin. By faith, we're endeavoring to walk in a way that is pleasing to god it's not it's not a bare change of mind it's not a bare um rote process you go through you're doing so embracing christ and his gospel it's not hopeless right it's not hopeless we're we're submitting to christ we're hating our sin and sorrow for it but we look forward to jesus christ it's like paul says in philippians we're looking to what's ahead and leaving what's behind we, we forsake what's behind us and we run forward, but we do so by faith. And because of that, um, all these righteous acts as, that are part of our sanctification flow from that faith. By faith, I believe in Christ and therefore I obey. Um, and that's uh, what we see here with repentance. Uh, anything else, Sean, you want to add? Um, no, I think we can move on. Okay. Um, we've touched a little bit on this already, but just some you know, some issues with the Lordship Salvation side. Um, the anti-Lordship side likes to accuse the Lordship guys that repentance is somehow a work for salvation. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Um, I think I may have heard guys like you have Steven Anderson. I don't know if he's an anti-Lordship guy now, but he used to be. Um, but he, I think he used to use that kind of argumentation. Like, you know, this is a work. You're, if you say repentance is needed, you're saying you you know, you're adding to the gospel, that kind of thing. Well, it's interesting. It might have been a terminology issue with him because he would say, no, you, you don't need repentance to be saved. It's a work. But at the same time, he, he had a doctrine, at least that I saw. It's like, well, if you're if you're not behaving that way, you're not truly a Christian. It's like, OK, well, you're, you're starting to see what we're getting at there. It might have just been a terminology issue with him. But I, I don't know. I'm not an expert. You're right. You never know. Even Anderson. <laughs> Someone who jumps on the pulpit and, and starts screaming at you, you never know what uh, what they really mean sometimes. Um, but but anyways, this is a common argument against um, the, the Lordship salvation. And I'd like to, I'll, I'll just point this out. When Paul uses the term work, he means it in a sense of it, that it's meritorious. He says that like, now to the one that works, 
uh, his he gets what is due to him, right? So he you work and you therefore you're you're obligated to get something, right? That doesn't mean that any action therefore is automatically a work, right? Because in faith, I mean that's something we're doing. It's an action in a sense, but it's not meritorious, and we recognize that. So if uh, repentance defined correctly is uh, playing in with that faith there, then neither is it necessarily a work. Although you could change it into a work, just like somebody could theoretically change faith into a work, like by believing I'm meriting my own salvation. Well, no, that's that's not correct. That's not how the scriptures view that. Um, so when we use work normally, what we're referring to is, you know, like something meritorious that somebody's trying to gain um, salvation by. Uh, whereas faith, the way we want to talk about it is, it, yes, it's an action, but it's not something that we're looking to merit our own salvation by. And so uh, same with repentance defined correctly. Yeah, so that's a good point. So when we're saying that faith, uh, when we talk about faith, we do say it is a work. You're doing something. It's not passive. You're actively believing in Christ. You're actively resting in him. There is an a, a movement from hating him. Now you are actively turning to him. Um, so if guys want to criticize the the lordship movement for repentance being a work, but then saying repentance is not a work, the terminology has to be clarified because faith is also work, and you could deny faith on the same grounds that you deny repentance, and that's exactly yeah. So you yeah, have exactly. to make sure that you did. They're both works, but in which way are we using? works because yeah you're right in romans 4 when paul uses that it's talking about i'm trying to earn something it's yeah. not just the doing of something yeah. it's i'm doing it to earn like when i work i work to make money to provide yeah. for my family and eat so i'm trying to earn something um and yeah. that's really what paul is defining there yeah. as a work not that faith isn't at its bare minimum something that i'm doing yeah obviously you could turn you could say other things like I'm doing other things that aren't meritorious, but it would still not be a way of salvation, right? Which I think we'll get in, we'll touch upon a little bit later. Um, taking baptism, right? Like baptism apart from faith. Well, I'm not saying that this is meritorious, but it saves me. Um, it's an action that's not meritorious. It saves me. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches, right? There, you can just because something isn't not in a not you're not treating it as meritorious doesn't mean that's also a way to get to god um that's that's a way to receive forgiveness of your sins right so um the only way that uh the bible prescribes of being made right with god is through the instrumentality of faith it is by faith we are justified uh that christ's righteousness comes to us and we are accounted as righteous so we also don't want to add things to it that, okay, well, it's not a meritorious work, therefore it's fine. Well, it actually might not be fine. It might not be as bad as trying to merit your own salvation, but it's also not not uh, quite right there. Yeah, you can fall onto either side of the road. You know, you can fall into either ditch if you're not careful. That's why, it, you know, you see some of these churches are like, ah, I don't need doctrine. I don't need theology. Yes, you do. Because look what happens if you don't define your, your just define words properly. Now you're, you know, you're veering towards heresy. Or well, if you're, if you're veering towards adding works into your, into your gospel, you have a huge problem. And if you take that logically, you've denied the gospel. There's, there's a mentality within American Christianity that, that like, 
well, I only need the basics to be saved. Therefore, I only need the basics, period. Don't try to confuse me with anything else. And yes, it's true. I don't need to know the depths of what faith means. I don't need to give a, a definition of faith, the, the typical reform definition of faith to have faith to be saved. That's true. Absolutely. But as we grow, we're going to be confronted with new situations and we want clarity of thought so that we're not accidentally stepping somewhere that we shouldn't. Um, that's, that's how you start going off the road, because if it's not actually clear in your mind, then you might be inclined to look at something. And it's like, oh, well, that sounds right, but it's actually not right, you know, because you haven't, you haven't thought through everything. So we definitely want to always encourage people to go deeper, not saying like, oh, well, you need to go deeper to be saved. No, you can have a simple childlike faith and be saved. But in living the Christian life, you should, you should, you need to go deeper. Well, you, you should want to go deeper at the very least. And um, it's a good guard against things in doing so. Yeah, we're not going to understand all the implications of faith right away. Um, I mean, even now as we're, we were studying for this, you know, there were things that I think we were both challenged on. And we we're like, oh, OK, I need to refine my understanding here and refine my understanding here. But we understand the basic gospel. Um, yeah. But it's just, you know, the terminology is refined and the concepts are more solidified in your head as you understand mm -hmm. the implications better. And it, it does seem to me that while nobody has perfect theology, but it seems to me that the theology, the errant theology of men in the past gets brought up to the men of the next generation as they're trying to work through all the implications. So something that was wrong in someone's theology, say in the, the 19th century, right, might manifest itself in an ugly way in the 20th century because people are, are now dealing with that implication. Whereas the person before had a, it wasn't as primary in his thought, you know? Um, so we, and, and again, no man is perfect. No man has perfect theology. So I'm not saying that, you know, we, we, we're going to obtain that or anything, but we should want to try to be as, as clear in our theology as possible. So nobody's picking up anything wrong um, that they might take in a, a bad direction and lead them and lead them into a, a heretical spot, you know? So. Yep. We're, we're we have to be constantly refining our mm -hmm. language and our words mm -hmm. and, and making sure it's consistent with the scriptures. Um, so yeah, very, very important how we define and what we say about certain doctrines have can have massive implications, even if they might seem small. And that's why this falls under the radar so much. Um, you know, I used to fall into this, you know, this whole repentance is needed for salvation thing. Cause it just seemed right. But as I grew in my understanding of justification, I was like, wait a second, if you start to put those things together, now I'm adding to that and I'm saying that there's something else that's needed outside of the righteousness of Christ in order uh, to be saved. I mean, it, it's it gets to be problematic, but it, it comes from having a proper understanding and growing and an understanding of those uh, those doctrines. Oh, hey, Stephen. Let's see yeah. what he's. Faith is not a work. Uh, it is more of a gift. All is a gift from God. Lordship salvation is bad for the soul once you go deeper, uh, I'm a product of it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us are, like I just said, I, I'm a product of it too. I think we're all influenced by it because um, it it seems right. Um, it, it seems right. It seems correct. Um, but as you dig into the terminology deeper, um, you start to see there are distinctions that have to be made there. 
Um, but yeah, brother, I think we're all products of it. And a lot of us are anyways, even in the reform camp, it had a huge influence on the reform camp, unfortunately. Um, and, and I think that it caused a lot of problems. Um, and that kind of leads into our next point <clears throat> about one issue of Lordship salvation. I think it has emphasized holiness to a fault. I know in my own life, I was heavily influenced by Paul Washer as a teenager. Um, and, and I'm not, you know, bashing Paul Washer or throwing him completely under the bus or anything like that. Um, but I do think that there was such an, in, in a reaction to what was going on in the nominal church that there is just this constant drumbeat of examine yourself, examine yourself, examine yourself, be holy, repent, be holy, repent, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it, it, at least for me, I think it led me to be more introspective and constantly be looking at myself rather than focusing where I should have been on Christ um, more uh, than, than I was. Um, and I think if we're not careful, we can emphasize our performance so much that we become uh, constantly checking ourselves, right? And there's nothing wrong with checking yourself. Paul commands us to examine ourselves to see if you're in the faith. We have to do that. Um, and I think Peter even says that we're to, you know, make our calling election sure, right? All that is is important, not denying that. But you can emphasize that so much that you forget about what about resting in, in Christ and the gospel? What about understanding that these things flow from resting in Christ and the gospel? If I'm looking to Jesus Christ and resting him by faith, there will be a necessary consequence of holiness. You can look at your works after being saved and say, okay, yeah, I, I see a pattern of holiness, and that's consistent with what the scriptures say. Um, and, you know, that flows from resting in Christ, so that is evidence I'm resting in Jesus Christ. We can do that. First John is a book that is basically written for that, gives evidences. Here's how you know you are saved, you know, and you can see these things in your life. But if we overemphasize what we're doing, even in the Christian life, I think it can uh, it can lead us to focus on our performance too much. Um, and, to, and to Brother Washer's credit, even early on, he was careful to to say, you know, don't expect a perfect repentance um, and, and things like that. So he he was trying to be careful. But I do think that, uh, at least in my own experience, there was this overemphasis on the um, the holiness side that led me to be more introspective than I should have been. Um, and, and he was heavily platformed by um, the I'll be honest guys over at Grace Community Church in, in San Antonio, Texas, um, who may have been uh, reformed at the time. I don't know if they're a reformed church, um, but he um, worked closely with them. Yeah, they're they're not 1689, for example. Uh, Tim Conway is no longer the pastor there, but um, he's not a not Sabbatarian. Um, so it, it depends on how you define reform. They're definitely Calvinistic, but would not. Hold yeah, definitely Calvinistic. Yeah, they, they yeah. Would probably would subscribe to Tulip and, and oh, yeah. Scripture no, and no. things like that. But yeah. Um, but yeah, again, you can see kind of that. OK, it's the reform, the non-reform camp that are that tend to be pushing this kind of material out there. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that that overemphasis on holiness, I think, can be problematic. And, and that does come from the Lordship side. Again, that's not the Reformed, by and large, have been teaching holiness, They're, you know, and that we have to submit to God's law um, as, as for hundreds of years, consistent with the confession. Um, but when you have this overreaction, there tends to be an overemphasis on things that shouldn't be. 
Um, so uh, that's just, I know it's more anecdotal, but I do personally, I do see that as, as a problem. Um, and then finally, you know, we, we talked a little mostly about this already, but Lordship salvation either conflates or at the very least comes dangerously close to conflating repentance unto life and faith. I'm going to read a brief section from MacArthur. This is from an article from his church's website, gracechurch.org. That's an adaptation from the Gospel According to Jesus, and I think another book as well, Sean. I don't remember what the other one was. Oh, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Or there may have been more. I don't remember. But it, at the very least, it's uh, it's partly this. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I've got it up here. It was adapted from Gospel According to Jesus, Gospel According to Apostles, and Getting the Gospel Right. Getting the Gospel Right. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So he had he had a number of works that were surrounding this lordship issue. Um, the gospel according to Jesus, I think, is probably the most popular, though. Anyways, it says, quote, first, scripture teaches that the gospel calls sinners to faith joined in oneness with repentance. Repentance is a turning from sin that consists not of a human work, but of a divinely bestowed grace. It is a change of heart, but genuine repentance will affect change of behavior as well. In contrast, easy believism teaches that repentance is simply a synonym for faith and that no turning from sin is required uh, for salvation. So you can see the language is being kind of inner, um, I guess the they're being swapped out for one another almost, or they're put so close together that you can uh, you can say that you know repentance is required for salvation. Um, and I think that there's, uh, we've already talked about the problems with that, but this is from MacArthur and he's the one who, who really popularized this, but it is, you know, again, it's no wonder that there is accusation from the anti-lordship side that says, look, you guys are making works here because look, you're putting repentance here with faith. We just need to believe to be saved. We don't need to, uh, you know, we don't need to add repentance to that. So you can see why, even if it's misplaced, even if uh, they're misrepresenting their intentions, um, you can still s say that it's not groundless, you know, what they're saying. Uh, their arguments aren't groundless. Um, to that, were you, were you done talking about that section? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, I actually wanted to read from point three because uh, this article is basically uh, MacArthur going through the nine distinctives of, uh, of um, uh, Lordship Salvation. Yeah, it's a pretty lengthy article. Um, and um, uh, uh, probably the vast majority of this, I would agree with. Um, yeah. So again, not, not, not trying to, to bash on MacArthur here, but yeah. um, uh, this is point three. Third, scripture teaches that the object of faith is Christ himself, not a creed or a promise. Faith, therefore, involves personal commitment to Christ. In other words, all true believers follow Jesus. In contrast, easy believism teaches that saving faith is simply being convinced or giving credence to the truth of the gospel and does not include a personal commitment to the person of Christ. So here he is explicitly putting in personal commitment to Christ as part of saving faith. Um, he, he, he says that and then uh, in the one part and then in the, the contrast, he says that, Oh, this is what you know the uh, the um, easy believists are doing, and they're they're wrong. Um, and that might sound good at first, right? But is because we should we should have a personal commitment to Christ. But is that is that part of saving faith, or is that the fruit of saving faith? Because ultimately, a personal commitment to Christ is law, right? It's the law. 
and it's not what I would not what I see as part of uh, the faith that's described in the Bible. It's a fruit of that, but it's not um, part of that saving faith. And you might be out there thinking, well, isn't that really splitting hairs a little bit, Sean? If you're if you're saying, well, it's the fruit of it, you should have it, but it's not part of saving faith. But this gets uh, into the introspection and and the hardship that a lot of people uh, in Lordship Salvation go through, right? Because if it's if this is just a fruit of it, then your solution to an issue is going to be different than if it's part of saving faith, right? If you are looking at yourself and recognizing, hey, something is wrong here, what are you going to do about it? If part of saving faith is personal commitment to Christ, you're going to be trying to well up in yourself personal commitment to Christ as opposed to looking to Christ and um, believing on him, right? Because the solution is always the same. If you're if you're a Christian that's backslidden or if you're uh, a Christian that's not really a Christian at all, the solution is always the same. Run to Christ, flee to Christ, look upon him and be saved. That is That is the solution to all issues. When you start putting more and more things into um, saving faith that are, are you focused, you're going to try and solve the issue in you. And uh, um, hopefully this is a helpful metaphor that I'll bring up. Uh, a lot of TVs, right? You'll have the when it's on, you'll have the the little light at the bottom saying that it's on, right? So you hit it on, the light comes on, and the TV comes on. Um, if one day you hit the power button on the TV and the TV doesn't come on and the light doesn't come on, what what do you do if you think the light coming on is the cause of the tv coming on you might try and go about saying or you might go about saying to yourself how do i fix that light so that little light will come on so the tv will come on as opposed to well clearly there's something wrong with the tv it's it's showing me that there's something wrong with the tv so now i need to diagnose what's wrong with the tv and then you go around the back it's like oh it's unplugged i'll, I'll plug it back in right um whether or not something is, is part of faith or just pointing to the fact that there might be something wrong uh, makes a difference in your solution to the problem, right? So we don't want to bring too, too much into saving faith um, because at that point, we're going to start addressing those things and not what really needs to be addressed, which is looking to Christ. Because ultimately, the solution is always go to Christ and... Uh, in order to um, go to Christ, either to be saved or to remind yourself of who he is and then um, continue in light of that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I guess I didn't pick up on that when I looked at the article. Yeah. It, and that kind of goes back to what our confession says, right? What is a, what is part of repentance? It's, you know, in resolving to obey God and well-pleasing in all things, right? committing to christ that that's that's a fruit of faith it's not something that is faith itself and yeah mm -hmm. even i didn't pick up on that so again you can see how these things can easily fall under the radar if you're just you're reading oh yeah that sounds right it's committing to christ but what does committing to christ involve oh that that's an active thing on my part that involves obedience that involves uh submitting to the word of god uh, in in ways that faith is distinct from, so yeah, you you can see how that type of language can easily get you into trouble. Um, and it's interesting that he doesn't put in there; he just says it's a commitment. Um, did he talk about anything about embracing, you know, Jesus or embracing the who Jesus is or anything like that? 
so I read the entirety of point three for you. Um, he might say okay. that in a, another point, but I don't. I don't remember to be honest. Okay. Okay. But it, it's interesting when you're talking about saving faith, and you just mention commitment, but you don't mention any of the other key element, any of the actual key elements to faith. That is definitely concerning. Um, he might have defined uh, faith elsewhere in here. But I mean, his his focus is what what is genuine faith. So he's trying to say, well, oh, genuine faith involves this. And I would say that, well, that's a that is a fruit of genuine faith. If you believe that Christ is who he said he is, then you should be resolved to be committed to him. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, but that is a separate action from the action of believing in Christ. Yep. Um. So it's it's it is it is important to keep those categories uh, distinct there. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, that brings us to a close um, today. But, you know, we'll, we want to leave you with a, a brief gospel message in light of our discussion on faith and repentance. That If you are seeking to make yourself right before God with your own works, through your own commitment, through your own actions, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get there. Faith is the way that we are made right with God. Uh, that is the means that God has given us to bring us and unite uh, to be united to Christ and to receive all the benefits that we need to be made right before God, the righteousness of Christ to, uh, to take care of our sin problem, uh, our, our guilty standing before God, our sanctification, our redemption, all of those things are taken care of uh, in Jesus Christ. So if you do not know Christ today, we, we plead with you to repent. We, we do call you to repent. That call goes out, even though we, we make the proper distinctions, but we call you to repent and, and believe in Christ, believe in him for your salvation of your sins, and show fruit of repentance, re- exhibit that repentance unto life. Um, and this will, you know, the repentance unto life will show that you really do believe in him. Um, but embrace him today and, and believe in, in Jesus Christ. Um, so we'll leave you with that today. Thank you for joining us today. Um, and we pray that you have a good Lord's Day tomorrow and a good upcoming week. Thank you for joining us.